going to read just two verses of scripture this morning, then I'll let you be seated. I'll be going to the book of 2 Corinthians, not 1st, but 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, reading verses 4 and 5, very familiar passage of scripture. And when you have it, say amen. Amen. This is Paul speaking. This is a New King James Version. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The, the first part of those two scriptures is very good. I like that, and we get excited about it, and we're going to expound on that here in a little bit. But what I'm keying in on here for our lesson today, I'm going to give it away immediately, is every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so I'll say before we get started, seeing that the weapons that we have at our disposal that God has given us, since Paul tells us that they are mighty, they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. That means nothing can stand in our way. There's nothing that hell can conjure up that can stop the children of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's nothing that can stop the glorious church. It's like the song says, we are the church triumphant. I believe that wholeheartedly. So if that is the case, if our weapons are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, I have a question and that's my title today. It is how long? And we'll get into that in a moment. Bow your heads, put your Bibles down. Let's pray that God speaks to us today. Lord, I worship your name, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for bringing this precious group of believers together, God. Lord, I know I have heard from you, Jesus. I pray that I fade away, God, and that you just speak to this congregation today. Lord, use your vessel, anoint your vessel, God. Anoint my lips to speak your word today, God. Anoint our ears and anoint our hearts to hear your word, God. Let it illuminate every part of our heart, God. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Clap your hands as you're seated. Praise God. How long? How long? The year was 1776, just a couple years ago. And even a novice in American history can tell you that 1776 was the year that our great experiment began. Was anybody there? Okay. <laughs> Nobody was there. So we're, you're just going to have to take my word for it. Our nation's founding fathers gathered in Philadelphia to debate something that had never been done before. They were there to discuss severing ties with the mother country. Gasps. And there were gasps in that day, too. Something radical. And they were separating from none other than the greatest empire of the world in that time, Great Britain. And of course, we know what this culminated in. It culminated in the very declaration of independence that we hold dear to our hearts and we celebrate every July 4th. But for as brilliant and yes, maybe even crazy, <laughs> they thought they were crazy as these men were, I can confidently tell you today, looking back from 2018, that this was not something that they did haphazardly. No, it was something that was carefully 
thought out. It was not the result of some impressionable mind absorbing some useless radical philosophy at a university somewhere over in Europe. No, it wasn't that. And it was, it was not a knee-jerk response to a situation. No, quite the contrary. It was the final answer to the question that was posed to them, how long? How long? Because, you see, life in the colonies, and I know you didn't come to hear a history lesson, but we're laying a groundwork. We'll get there eventually. Just stay with me. Life in the colonies had not been like it used to be. Something had changed in the past few years in the colonies since the closing of the Seven Years' War, or as you and I know it here in America as the French and the Indian War. You see, before this war, the colonies had been largely unbothered and left to their own administration by the British crown. For you historians in the crowd, we call it salutary neglect. Don't bother us, we won't bother you. That's what was going on. They were not bothering Britain, and Britain was not bothering them. The colonies were a profitable area for Britain. So why upset it if it's working, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But now, Great Britain has found itself with a large bill for a very long and very costly war. So who better to handle that bill than someone else? Amen. Thus, the taxes began climbing higher and higher, and the church said amen. Amen. I know I'm talking to somebody right now. The taxes kept getting higher and higher. Lifestyles were being altered as a result of these taxes. There was infringement in every aspect of the American colonists' life. There wasn't a part of their life that was not untouched by these intolerable acts, as they were called. Good goodness, you couldn't even get a decent cup of tea without having to pay a tax for it. And that bothers me personally as a lover of sweet tea. I couldn't imagine having to pay, you know, more than a dollar nine or whatever it is at Walmart. You know, got to pay the extra tax for the king to pay his war bill. I won't have it. I just will not have it. And to add insult to injury, the common people, the American colonists, you and me, let's put it that way, we were forced to quarter or house some British soldiers that were stationed in the colonies. So when I got home in the morning, there might be some guy sitting there eating my food. That's a problem. It's going to be a big problem if that actually happens one day for him. So you add this all together, and you get a bubbling cauldron of contempt, abhorrence, and animosity. And that is when, is when all this came together, it culminated, and the founding fathers finally said, enough is enough. We're going to pull out all the stops. We're going to attempt something that has never been attempted before. We are going to declare our independence from the power that is oppressing us. And I must ask myself in this group of precious souls under the sound of my voice this morning the same question, but in a different way. How long are we going to tolerate the devil taxing us with guilt every time we attempt to draw closer to God? How long? How long will we bear the weight of oppression every time we attempt to come to the house of God, every time we get in our mind that we're going to come to Monday night prayer or come to those special services, something weighs down on us. But don't you remember what you used to be? How long are you going to deal with it? How long? I tell you 
Today, emphatically, today is the day to declare your freedom. Today is the day to walk down the path to victory. And today is the day to experience the very power of God in our lives. Amen? I wrestled with the devil over the past few weeks because I, when pastor gave me the schedule and asked me if I'd be available to teach on this day, I began praying and fasting and seeking God, and I had a very quick answer from the Lord, which I always like. Don't get me wrong. I like it when he gives me what I'm going to teach about very quickly. But on the flip side of that, it seems like that offers more time for the enemy to get into your mind. And so I have been going through mind games and every bit of mental block possible in preparing this message today. And so I don't know exactly who might need to hear it today. It might just be me. I don't know. And I don't want anybody thinking that I'm coattailing what happened last week because this was in the works long before that. So if you didn't get it last week, maybe you can get it this week. Amen? So just bear with me for that. That's a little side note. We'll come back from our commercial break. And likewise, the prophet Elijah found himself asking this very same question of how long, centuries before our country declared its own independence. When he could not stand the idolatry of Israel any longer, he called them to Mount Carmel. In 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, in the 21st verse, it says, And Elijah came to all the people, and he said, How long will you falter between two opinions? You see, the previous chapters in 1 Kings, they tell us the situation in Israel that we are stepping into in chapter 18. You see, the kings of Israel had fallen into idol worship, but at the same time, they tried to maintain their Jewish identity with Jehovah. And the king at that time, Ahab, was no exception to what I've just described. And in fact, the Bible says that he was even more evil than all the kings that went before him. A very evil Man, This is the same man that killed Naboth for his vineyard. This is the same man who was married to Jezebel, a very evil, evil man. This pagan Jezebel ran things instead of him and led him down a very dark path. And Jezebel, in the midst of all this, had also given the order to kill all of the prophets of God. And Elijah had managed to escape that slaughter. And now he has come to demand an answer from the king and also from Israel. You see, Elijah, he lays it out for Israel and everybody to hear, and even you and me reading it today. He lays it out very simple. He says, if Baal is God, then follow after him. And he says, but if Jehovah is God, then follow him. How long are you going to go back and forth, Israel? How long are you going to serve Two masters. And that reminds me of something that was said in the New Testament by Jesus in the book of Matthew. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. So it can't be done. Elijah and Jesus are telling us the same thing. Centuries apart, two different testaments. We have to make a decision. How long are you going to do it? How long are you going to go along without making a decision? The message has not changed from. Elijah's time and Jesus' time. We must choose who or what 
we will serve. We must choose. Because you might be able to skate along, and boy, I'm already getting off my notes. This ain't good. You can go for so long because one of two people is going to demand an answer. God is going to demand an answer, but sometimes the devil's going to demand an answer as well. He's going to say, all right, you've played games long enough with me. Here it comes. Are you going to go this way or are you going to go that way? The same works with Jesus Christ. He'll give us opportunity after opportunity. And then finally, he will leave us to our own devices. And I'll tell you, it's not too late today. Praise God. Praise God. We must choose who or what we will serve, and we must choose who or what will have authority in our lives, and we must choose who or what we allow to have dominion in our homes. There are many wrong decisions, but I'll tell you there is only one correct decision. There's only one correct decision, and His name is Jesus. There's, only, there's many ways that we can mess it up. There's many ways that we can fall off the straight and narrow path. But there's only one way, the Bible says, and His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. And I've heard that very thing like you have. I've heard it preached to me for over 26 years. And I'm sure that anyone that has been around Pentecost for more then one year has probably heard the message that I'm preaching to you right now. They've probably heard it. But however, I do believe sometimes we miss part of the message. Because I walk with me here. I think we can safely say that none of us are serving false gods today. We're not, we don't have idols in our homes that we've got a little shrine built to in our closet, sacrificing our firstborn to it and whatever else have you. I don't think anybody else is doing that. If so, see him after I'm done. <laughs> and we'll pray. So I, I excuse us from that part of it because I don't think any of us are having problems with that today. Because I, but you see, as I was studying for this message, you know, like I said, I was having some severe block and I know it wasn't for me just being tired or anything because everything else was coming and clearly and all that stuff. But there were certain points in my study that was like, nothing. And I knew it was the enemy fighting against, against me in my study. And so I felt God calling me to delve deeper into this passage and into the history of this passage. And we've already mentioned the name, but the deity in question here is Baal. You've heard a lot about him in the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament, Baal this, Baal that, Baal, Baal, Baal. Common household name in the Old Testament. Baal was a holdover from the Canaanites. The Canaanites were the ones who possessed the promised land before the Israelites came in there and get out. He was the supreme deity in their pagan religion. But you see, here's the, here's the oddity of this whole situation is that Baal should not have even been an issue in 1 Kings chapter 18. Shouldn't have even been an issue. Because this generation that we're talking about right now, that we've got a snapshot of, they shouldn't have even known who Baal was. Right? Because the generations before had, had not followed the command of God to completely wipe the Canaanites off the face of the earth. He said, get rid of them. 
because problems are going to arise if you keep them around. And sure enough, look what happened. Problems. So here we are. Here's a big problem. We've got the worship of Baal. And now it is having to be dealt with by people who not, should not be having to deal with it. Likewise in our world today. There are people dealing with things that they were never meant to deal with. But it has to do with generations before not dealing with the problem and kicking the can down the road. But you see, Baal literally means Lord or Master. It's always what's in the name in the Old Testament, right? It means Lord or Master. Here is the connection that popped in my mind. Whoever or whatever has dominion in our lives is our Lord, little L, Lord, and our Master. That's who calls the shots. That's who drives whatever it is that we're doing. It's elementary, I know, but let's think about this for, for a moment. You live in fear of the future. And any time you start thinking about tomorrow and beyond tomorrow, you break out into a, a cold sweat. You might even be doing it right now. And any time you hear preaching about stepping out in faith and speaking things in faith, you want to respond. You want to lift your hands. You want to pray things boldly in the Spirit. But that fear will not allow it. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. No, please don't get me wrong. And I'm not even calling you an unbeliever. Please don't be offended. I'm not calling you that at all. I just want to know who your Lord is. That's what I'm asking, who your Lord is. What about doubt? You say... You want your backslidden loved ones to come back to God. You pray for them earnestly. I know you do. You, you cry until you can't cry anymore. You, you pray until your voice is absolutely gone from the, the yelling and the, the crying just takes your voice away from it. You pray so hard. But all the while, there's that voice from the enemy in the back of our minds saying, but can it really happen? I know there's a promise, you know, God, told, God spoke to somebody. He told you that they were coming back. But that doubt's there too, saying, can it really happen? And I'm not, I'm not calling anybody an unbeliever. I just want to know who your Lord is. And what about that issue? You name it. You know what it is. There's too many for me to name in the time that I have left, and it's going away fast, goodness but you know what the issue is, and God knows what the issue is. He knows exactly what it is. There's a charismatic Christian author and pastor. His name's Craig Groeschel. Some of you might have heard of him. Back in the year 2010, he wrote a book, and I, I read it. My cousin referred it to me. I read it right after I got out of high school. And it affected me. It convicted me greatly. And so I started reading it, got about a quarter of the way through, and I put it down because I didn't like the way it made me feel. That's always a good thing to do. But the title of this book is called The Christian Atheist. And right on the cover, he tells you what it is. It says, you believe in God, but you live as if he doesn't exist. And there's parts in the book that says, I believe God can heal, 
but I don't think he can heal me. I believe God can save my family. Or he can save a family, but I don't think he can save mine. I believe God can deliver me from this addiction that I'm dealing with, but I really don't think he can do it for me. I know he can do it, but I just don't see it for me. The Christian atheist. And like I said, it was very convicting to me. So I put it down because I thought, how many times have I done that? How many times have I let doubt, fear, you name it, whatever it is, be the Lord and the master of my life? Whatever's calling the shots is the Lord and the master, right? So when I can't get down to this altar to deal with a situation because of my pride, let me tell you who's in charge. My pride. Come on. Amen. Who is our Lord and our master? So I must make the same statement that Elijah made so many, many years ago. If your situation, or let's put it this way, if your Baal is God, then follow Him. If the thing that you're facing, if, if it's too big for even the Creator of the universe to solve, then follow your Baal. Then serve Him. If that's the case, if it's just too big for the Creator of the universe to solve, then follow your Lord and your Master. But I must ask you the same question. If God, Jesus Christ, the same one that died and rose again from the grave and shed His blood for every single sin that we ever committed and rose from that grave and has all power in heaven and earth given to Him, if He is God, and the Bible says He is, so He is, if He is God, then follow Him. Who is your Lord and who is your Master? It better be Jesus Christ. It's okay. I know it's Sunday school. You can agree with me. It better be Jesus Christ. Because time is running short, ladies and gentlemen. We don't have much time left to play these wishy-washy games. And I don't mean to sound cliche, but we got to decide. How long are you going to take to decide how long? John 20 and 27 says, Then he, that's Jesus, said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas had an encounter with the resurrection. And you and I, everybody under the sound of my voice, has had an experience, an encounter with the resurrection. Amen? Thomas, he got it absolutely right. He called Jesus his Lord and his God. Thomas had decided, what do we know him as? Doubting Thomas, right? He had decided that his doubt couldn't hold up anymore when compared to the greatness of his Lord and of his God. This is the same one that said, I can't believe that he's alive. I, I saw them nail him to the cross. I saw them pierce his side. I saw him die. I saw him put him in the grave. I just can't believe that he's alive until I see him and I feel the nail prints in his hands and see the spear wound in his side. Well, he got to see it. 
And that took care of his Lord and his master doubt when he met the real big G God, Jesus Christ, when he said, my Lord and my God. So compare your Baal, whatever it is, to the greatness of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, there is no comparison. Anybody agree with me on that? There is no comparison. Hallelujah. Praise God. Elijah, he called for a demonstration to see who the true God was. So we know he builds an altar and he puts a sacrifice on it. And just to, I don't know, I see this as showmanship almost. He also covers it with barrel after barrel after barrel after barrel of water. I don't think there was a trace of doubt in this mind. I know I'd be thinking, oh boy, <laughs> I hope this works. <laughs> it was so wet that it filled the trench that he had dug around the altar. And then Elijah did exactly what we need to do. He did exactly what we need to do. He prayed. In 1 Kings 18, 36 and 37, this is his prayer. It says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. Hear my prayer, O God, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. What a prayer. God, here I am. I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm declaring that you are my God and I am your servant. I will follow you no matter what. So whatever it is that you're fighting today, whatever it is that is trying to be your Lord and your master, I tell you, just like Elijah, you need to lay it on the altar. But not only lay it down, you need to pray. I know it's simple, but we need to lay it down and we need to pray. Echo Elijah's words. Lord, you are my God and I am your servant. You're the only God. You know why you need to pray? And I think we all have a general idea of it. Because it's powerful. It's powerful, the prayers of the saints of God. Remember what Paul said all the way back at the beginning when I began rambling? He said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. Your prayers are mighty. Every tearful prayer that you've cried, every prayer that you've prayed in the Spirit, you might not know what it was you were saying, but that was a powerful prayer that went up to heaven. And God heard it. It's powerful. It's mighty for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You have to fight spirit with spirit. We know that. My rifle, my 45, my 380, it's not going to do me any good in a fight with the devil. Boy, sometimes I'd like to, though. Oh, boy. You know it. I'd love to. But we have to fight spirit with spirit. 
We have to give it to the real big G God. Not little G God, but big G God. Fight against that force of the enemy. Fight against that thing that is trying to exercise authority and dominion in your life and in your home. That insurmountable situation you're facing is a high thing. Hear me. It is a high thing that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. Whatever it is that is telling you God can't do X, it is a high thing that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And you need to come against it in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Hell has no power at the name of Jesus Christ. Whether it be little, whether it be big, you speak to that situation in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Because our prayers are powerful. It's mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And it casts down the baseless arguments and the lies that the enemy is telling you right now. That you can't be delivered. It is a lie from the pit of hell and I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. The Bible says that when Elijah finished praying that fire fell from heaven. And it consumed what he had laid out on the altar. And to be specific, it says in verse 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and even the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. That's some fire. Hallelujah, that's some fire. And there are a few things in this verse that strike me. First, I fully believe that there was a direct connection and correlation between Elijah's sincere and fervent prayer and that fire falling from heaven. You can think what you will, but that's what I think. I've read just enough of the Bible to know that there's a correlation between prayer and the power of God. And I've experienced enough of it in my life, so we'll just have to agree to disagree. Second, the Bible says that fire fell and it consumed everything. You want to know what happens when you get into a good old-fashioned prayer meeting with the Lord? You want to know what happens when you stay committed to your prayer life? You want to know what happens when you stay faithful to the Word of God and you let this book light up every nook and cranny of your heart? You're an open book to the Lord. You are consumed by God. Praise God. We will be consumed. And finally... The most striking part of the scripture is right at the end. It says that the fire licked up the sacrifice and everything there. So this is an obvious question. It's not a trick one. What do we lick with? Our tongue. Okay. Where have you seen tongues and fire mentioned before together? I know of one place. Acts chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. Hmm. If you want to overcome the bales in your life, you need the Holy Ghost. Oh, come on. You need the Holy Ghost. Because when you have the Holy Ghost and you have that fire shut up in your bones, when you're consumed by God, there isn't a devil within a thousand miles of here that wants anything to do with any one of us. Amen? Praise God. And another translation of Elijah's question of how long 
because i got to get back to where it all started. How long? To the Israelites, it reads like this. This is from the English Standard Version. It says, And Elijah came near to all the people, and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions as we stand? How long will you go limping? So I must ask, how long are we going to allow that situation that we're going through right now to handicap us? How long are we going to allow it to make us limp? How long are we going to go limping around with the wounds of a past offense? How long? Our God will answer with fire. He answers with fire of the Holy Ghost. And He will heal you. Has anybody ever been healed? Well, just a couple. He will heal you. He will deliver you. Right? Whatever your need is, X, whatever it is, you fill it out. You know what it is. He will do it for you. Amen? He will do it for you. Don't wait any longer. I tell you, do not wait any longer. How long will you go? limping with that situation how long are you going to go letting that bell lie to you and exalt itself in the face of the mighty God that you claim to serve how long are you going to allow it because today is the day that he crumbles today is the day that it falls in Jesus name can I get someone to agree with me hallelujah today is the day of salvation Lift your hands. Let's pray. Lord, I worship your name, Jesus. God, I thank you for the promise of your word, Lord, that we can stand on today, God. That every high thing will come down in the name of Jesus in our lives, God. Lord, I come against every force of the enemy right now that's trying to talk doubt into people's minds even as I speak in faith right now. In Jesus' name, I come against it right now. God, I loose the healing virtue of the Holy Ghost in this place, God. Lord, I loose deliverance in this place right now, God. Have your way today, God. Let this continue in our second service today, God. Lord, let someone receive the beautiful gift of the Holy Ghost in the service today, God. We give you the praise and the glory, Jesus. You are our God, and we are your servants, Jesus, and we worship you. We give you the highest praise that you are due. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you cry out to the Lord for a moment? Hallelujah. Glory to your name, O oh God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I like what I feel already in the house of the Lord.